It is good to be back here. Thank you uh, for coming to Harrison Church today. If you are visiting with us, what an honor it is to have you with us. Make sure we get your information. Don't forget to sign that hospitality pad. We want to welcome you, tell you about the great things that are happening here at Harrison Church. I was away last Sunday. I'm back now. So normally what I do is I like to catch people up on where we are. But today we're actually starting with square one a brand new sermon series. I was thinking last week that, you know, uh, when you're in seminary, when you're thinking about becoming a pastor, one of the things that they try to teach you in seminary is the importance of beginning your sermon well. you got to start out with something that just hooks people, reels them in, and kind of keeps their attention for the rest of the sermon. And uh, if you've heard me, I've been preaching here almost, almost four years. It'll be four years in December. I have been so terrible at beginnings of sermons. I've never really good at this. The best thing I can do is just say, this is what we're preaching about today. And so let me tell you what we're going to be preaching about today. Uh, I thought about my experience in seminary and about the beginning of the sermon. And, and then I thought about the very beginning of the sermon that I'm getting ready to read to you of the most famous sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And how he begins his sermon with what we call, does anybody know, the Beatitudes? And so uh, what I thought we would do over the next few weeks, I've never done this before. Usually if I preach the Beatitudes, it's the whole thing all at once. Is that what, what would it look like if we, if we slowed it down and just considered each one of those pronouncements that Jesus said? This will be kind of a, a challenge for us. And so I'm going to read to us uh, from the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel, from Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able. Let us hear now the beginning of the most famous sermon ever preached. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And it's really, you know, it says mountain, but if you go to the Holy Land, it's really just a large hill. Anyway, just for your information, trivia. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he, Jesus, began to speak, saying, here's how he started this sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, the beginning of the sermon. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I thought what we would do is break this down. And so today we'll, we'll talk about the first petition. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, before I get to that one, though, there, there's something uh, that I think is important for you to, to kind of know right off the bat. Uh, I want you to notice how Jesus said, blessed are. Like, blessed are now. Uh, in other words, Jesus is actually preaching here. He is speaking here in what's called the indicative mood. Have you ever heard of the indicative mood in high school? Uh, we're going all the way back to high school. Nobody remembers the indicative mood. Don't you remember doing the grammar trees? 
Right? So the indicative mood in, in English means to make a simple statement and to consider it fact. It's just like a factual statement. In other words, I can just say something like this, like, Duke basketball is the evil empire. It's just a statement of fact. You can't do anything about it. It just is. Right? It's the indicative mood. And Jesus is preaching in the indicative mood. What I mean by that is this. Jesus is not saying here, blessed are those who learn how to become poor in spirit or who one day will become poor in spirit. He doesn't say, blessed are those who really work hard at becoming merciful or becoming peacemakers. He's just saying, this is what is. And what is the indicative mood is the poor in spirit, they are the ones who are blessed. Now, I, I noticed the tense here, and I realized, man, this is going to make uh, preaching this series quite a challenge. And the reason for this is because we want tips and we want advice, don't we? We want suggestions. I remember in the uh, 11 o'clock service, this is a few weeks ago, I was preaching on another topic, another sermon. And then right after the, the service, a gentleman, younger gentleman, came up to me, and he just uh, shook my hand, and he goes, well, now what am I supposed to do? And I knew exactly what he meant. In other words, like, where are the practical suggestions? I mean, how can I live into what you just said? He was kind of confused. And we just love it when somebody can kind of break it down in these kinds of steps. But Jesus does not do this here in any of it. He's speaking in the indicative mood. There are no practical steps. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Mic drop. Boom. And that's it. And he walks away. Now, what we can say is that these sayings, were you paying attention to them? I mean, they, they are ridiculous, really. I mean, they are completely absurd. And there's n- none of us in here would ever believe any of these sayings were true unless Jesus had said them. We would, I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit. We would never say something like that. Right? Well, we have a complete, this, this, what Jesus says here completely upends. It contradicts everything that we would consider to be blessed. It's a total inversion of everything. We don't think that's blessed, poor in spirit. What we do is things like this. We, you know, we will get like a, a brand new car and, and we'll take a picture of the car. People have done this. And then we'll put it on Instagram or we'll put it on Facebook and we'll say, look at my new car, hashtag blessed. Or somebody will get a nice fancy gift for Christmas, or maybe there's a, a great vacation, you're with your family, you do a selfie right behind the beach there, you know, whoa, it's wonderful, look at this gift, hashtag blessed. We would never say blessed are the poor in spirit, our beatitudes would sound like this, blessed are the self-assured, for they will get ahead in life. Blessed are the cocky, for they shall be noticed. Blessed are those who wear the Letterman jackets in high school, for they will be popular. Blessed are the tough talkers, for they shall win public acclaim. Oh, we love tough talk. That's what we would consider to be blessed. And yet Jesus says right off the beginning of his sermon in the indicative mood, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus doesn't bless any of the people or the categories that we would consider to be blessed. What Jesus says is, blessed are the losers. Blessed are the failures. Those who look like a complete failure in our world. Uh, our world. Actually, the, the word that Jesus has used for poor is actually poverty of like the deepest, most visceral kind of poverty. I mean, Jesus is talking about just sheer sheer deprivation 
not just a little bit, but just total deprivation, total lack, total dependence in everything. Blessed are they who have nothing to speak of. I do find it interesting that Jesus doesn't even say what we might want to say, like, blessed are those who are rich in spirit. I mean, that's what we want for the most part, don't we? To be rich in spirit. That's why a lot of people tell me they come to church. People are saying, you know, I come to church because I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be fed. Uh, I want a spiritual boost for the rest of my week. I want to take something home with me. I want to deepen and to grow my spirituality. This is what I want for you. I do. This is why I kind of hound you about this time every year. The church does this, right? We want you to be a part of our fall Bible study groups. Time for a shameless plug. There's a tent right out there. We want you to be a part of these groups because why? We want you to understand church doctrine. We want you to be filled with the knowledge of Scripture. And yet, i got to tell you, Jesus doesn't even say that. He doesn't even say, blessed are those who have a little bit of spirituality. Jesus actually says, blessed are those who have nothing, who have no spirituality to think of at all. I told one of the, uh, our staff members just this week, thinking about this, you know, here's our summer, uh, our small group initiative going on. I'm like, leave it to Jesus to ruin our spiritual growth initiative for the fall. By the way, I really do want you to sign up for a small group or a Bible study. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> Despite what Jesus says in our morning lesson, okay? It's important. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How, how do we work with, with that? Well, we can say if if, if to them, if to the, the poor in spirit belongs the kingdom of God, if, if to the people who have nothing to offer, then if, that, if the kingdom of God belongs to them, then, then can't we also know where the kingdom of God is not? If it belongs to the spiritually bankrupt, we know who it doesn't belong to. That means... It doesn't belong to the, to the proud, does it? It doesn't belong to the arrogant. It doesn't belong to people who will step on other people just to climb ahead. I mean, the kingdom of God does not belong to the power grabbers or, or those who want to coerce others. Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God belongs to people who have no interest in power at all who don't desire really anything, who will not compete in a dog-eat-dog world. That's who the kingdom of God belongs to. Well, you know, I was out last Sunday and I was uh, vacationing with my family. And if I were here last Sunday, I I would have said something about the events that we all saw in Charlottesville, Virginia. I watched some of that just along with you, you know, all the, just the vitriol and the hatred that Kyle had prayed over and just the, the assertion of rights. And, 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 and if I were here last Sunday, this is what I would have said, but I'm going to try to base it on what Jesus just said this morning. I was thinking about that word that kept, uh, the media kept using over and over again, supremacist, white supremacy, supremacy, superiority, supremacist. And I and I, and I thought about that word, and I, and I thought how that word supremacy has no place at all in Jesus' lexicon. It's not in Jesus' vocabulary at all. I mean, the idea of superiority 
especially the kind of superiority where you think your skin color makes you superior to other people, that is a complete and total biblical and theological error. The New Testament actually says in Philippians chapter 2, we read this just a couple of weeks ago, Paul says you should count others as being better than yourselves. In other words, Paul says, Christians, you should think of other people as being more superior than you. And, And those who want to trample down on other people because they have some sense of superiority over others, Jesus is clear that the kingdom of God does not belong to them. There is no such thing as Christian supremacy. We should never associate Christianity with anything supreme other than God. There is only Christian humility. That's all. The poor in spirit that Jesus is talking about, that Jesus is blessing, they they don't demand, as, as Kyle said, they don't demand their rights. The poor in spirit don't seek after power the poor in spirit don't try to coerce anyone the poor in spirit don't try to hurt anybody the poor in spirit that jesus blessed are are, are those who never cast judgment on others the poor in spirit always cast judgment on themselves first and they notice their own sins first And they know that they need the mercy of God. That's to whom the kingdom of God belongs. The humble, the poor in spirit, those who don't want to hurt anyone. Theirs is the kingdom of God. What kind of people are we going to be? That's really the question. Uh, I've told some of you that uh, our conference here, the Western North Carolina Conference, uh, asked me to serve on what is called the District Committee of Ordained Ministry. (laughs) Nobody pouring spirit on that committee. I'm kidding. (laughs) Anyway, it's my my responsibility. It's it's my job now uh, to, to interview people who are thinking about going into ordained full-time ministry. And, uh, you know, we gotta, we got to kind of vet their theology and make sure they got it all right. And I can remember being, uh, you know, going into that room, being on that side of the table, totally petrified. Now I'm on this side of the table. And back in, I think it was February, there was a, a gentleman who came in. He was already in seminary. And uh, he shared with the, uh, the group, my little subcommittee, just a few of us around the table, talking to him. He shared uh, with us about how he believes God is calling him to live among and to serve among the very disabled in our community, especially people not just with physical disabilities, but with really deep mental disabilities. And he's doing that now. He's in seminary and he's, he's a part of a community of those who are disabled. So anyway, he sits down and, and, and we begin the vetting process, you know, like, uh, tell us, uh, what is the Wesleyan way of salvation? Uh, tell us the meaning of the sacraments. Uh, and I always ask this question, what does Easter mean? Tell me about 1 Corinthians 15. And we just over and over again, he was answering all these questions to the best of his ability. And, and there came a point where he said this to us. He says, you know, I don't want to sound disrespectful. He said, but... I have to say to you that the people that I am spending most of my time with, they have no idea what Easter means. They have no idea what an atonement theory is. 
They could not tell you why Jesus died for their sins. They do not understand the inerrancy of Scripture. But he says, these people show me the heart of Jesus Christ more than anybody I've ever known. And that was a profound moment for me. We can get so called up, can we not, in our doctrine. Do you understand? Do you understand it? The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who just don't understand. That's who Jesus blessed. When he said that, it reminded me of a, a story of Fred Rogers, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, I, I am I, I, I'm fully uh, eager to say Fred Rogers is my hero. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I will watch it if I see it on PBS on a rerun. It reminded me of a story, maybe some of you heard this, uh, between Fred Rogers and a young boy that he met who had cerebral palsy. It's been a number of years ago, and, and this, this young boy, I mean, he had his, his physical disabilities, but he had a, just a whole, whole host of just emotional disabilities. His family found out that his caregivers were abusing him, and he wasn't really able to say why, so it just caused him all kinds of of emotional and, and mental issues. Anyway, there was a children's foundation near Pittsburgh where Mr. Rogers lived that, that said, we're going to arrange a time for you to meet Fred Rogers. And this just excited this young boy to no end because he watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood almost every day, calmed him. And so the day comes for this young boy to, to meet Fred Rogers, and they wheel him into the room, and then Fred Rogers comes in, and, 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 the, and the young boy is, is very anxious, and he begins to hit himself because he has to channel his anxiety, and, and yet Fred Rogers just talked to him without batting an eyelash. I mean, it was like just a normal conversation, and, and while the two of them were talking to each other, and, and before their time ended together, and there were other adults standing around them, Fred Rogers said to the young boy, he says, I, I would like for you to do me a favor. He said to him, he said, will you pray for me? And this just stunned that young boy with cerebral palsy because he was always used to being on the prayer list of everybody else. And now here is Mr. Rogers asking him to pray for him. So he did. Mr. Rogers started leaving the room and there were the other adults and, and one of the, the adults in the room said, man, that was brilliant what you just did. Wow, that was great strategy. How tactful to ask that boy to pray for you. That will give him a lot of self-confidence. And, and this just stunned Fred Rogers, he looked at him and was like, what? He goes, I, I really meant for him to pray for me. And then he said, anybody who has been what that young boy has been through has got to be close to God. And I need his prayers. The poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. You know, you and I, we so often, we, we love to think of God as being in the filling business. It's like a warped American theology. You know, we think God exists to fill us, right? It is God's job to fulfill us. You know, it's God's job to fill us with a sense of happiness. He must fill us with a sense of purpose. He must satisfy our desires. You know, you can go to youth camp and the youth will hear the, one of the youth leaders kind of say, hey, everybody has a God-sized uh, hole in their heart that only God can fill. I got to tell you, the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I think God is actually in the emptying business. 
He's not in the filling business. It's Jesus who, who came and, and he wants to empty us of our egos. He wants to empty us of our selfishness. He wants to empty us of this desire of ours to kind of possess everything as if it's our own. He wants to, to empty us of our, our defensiveness and our, of our self-protection. He wants to just to empty us of all of our fears. I mean, everything, until we realize we have absolutely nothing to offer. And that's the grace. And I realize that, you know, that's not very marketable. I couldn't put on the marquee out there, the sign on the front says, Come get emptied with us by God. But I do think that God is in the emptying business more than he is in the filling business. And the paradox is that the more emptied we are, the more filled we become. And the more filled we become, the more emptied we will be. It's just a paradox. And and if you don't understand what I'm trying to say to you, I have no other words to say it. To be rich in the grace of Jesus Christ really does mean to be completely poor. To have nothing to offer and to realize you have nothing to offer. That is the gospel. That is the good news. I think God wants to empty you. And if God can empty you, it is then that you will be filled. Well, for those of you who are among us this morning and you feel really inadequate. Or for those of you who feel like you have no spirituality to offer at all. For those of you who every time you think about yourself, the only thing you think about is your sins. The wrongs that you have committed. For those of you who feel like you have no understanding of God at all and you do not know God's will and even how to discern it. For those of you like that this morning, here's the good news. Rejoice and be glad. Holy are you. Blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom of God. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Harrison Church now offers Text to Give, a quick and easy way to tithe or donate anytime, anywhere. Text HUMC and your gift amount to 73256. For more information, you can visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.